Let's go ahead and open in prayer for our message. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us and how much you love us and care for us. And we thank you for your word that teaches us what we need to learn and know. We ask that this message will be what you would have us to learn from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 10, which we read all of last week. And I'm just going to pick out a couple verses this week. Uh, starting at uh, verse 8 through 10. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalniah, in the land of Shinar. Then we're going to jump down to 1025. And unto Eber was born two sons, the name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And then we're going to come to Genesis 11, 1 through 9. The whole earth was one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found in the plain in the land of Shinar, Shinar excuse me, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go and let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go, and let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto the heavens. And let us make a name, for lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see with the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have one language, and this they will begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth and they left off the, to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, which the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So we're going to just look at these. Uh, I have a little... You're going to get to see my handiwork. It's not, you know, you're going to see how unartistic I am, even with wonderful software. <laughs> I didn't take time to find good software. And there. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. I know. But I wanted, I wanted to put this up here. Because last week we talked about the table of nations and all the different places where everybody went to. And this week we're just going to talk about two people. Because last week we emphasized a lot about Canaan and his children. And I just put children at the bottom line because I'm only interested in, in the grandchildren of Noah for this message. <laughs> and, uh, and one great-grandchild of Noah, or great-great-grandchild of Noah. So, but uh, we talked about Canaan and he went into the Palestinian area. And that's where his people all lived. And they were wicked and evil. And we think, you know, when we think about this, and the reason I spent a lot of time on this is, how many times have you thought, well, God judged the world, everything was good for a while. It didn't last long at all. After the judgment of the flood, evil started prevailing right away. And uh, this is part of what we want to look at. So today we're going to be talking about Cush, which is a son of Ham. Almost all of Ham's sons are, are evil. <laughs> and his descendants, then Cush gave birth to Nimrod. And Nimrod's who we're going to be talking about primarily today. Um, in the scriptures, Nimrod, and I, I'm not going to go a long lesson on Nimrod for you because you could be spending weeks just studying Nimrod. He is a 
very infamous character in almost every civilization out there. Uh, any ancient civilization has uh, Nimrod's history in it, and he is infamous for all the evil that he brought in. So we're just going to kind of lay out a, a little bit of what he did. In the scriptures, he is the first one to have been said to have, be ruling over multiple towns. Okay, If you remember when we looked at the uh, Cain's descendants, they all would start a town or a village of some sort. Nimrod here says he, in uh, that we read in verse 7, said, uh, excuse me, in verse uh, 10, he built, the kingdom was in Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalnei. So he had at least four towns that he was ruling over. So he's becoming the first mighty king, you might say, over the world, at least the first one recorded in the scriptures. And usually the Bible is very good about recording firsts. And so we're just looking at him. He's going to start, and he's called a mighty hunter. And there's a little bit of question on this, but most people say that he hunted people and offered them to his God. He broke away from God. He is the one that started bringing worship away from God after the flood. And he either started or followed the, the, the worship of Moloch, which has which is the, worship, uh, the offering of human sacrifice to Moloch for power. And Moloch is one of the many sun gods. So he is the one that really started bringing in this evil. And if you noted, he established this city in the, the place of Shinar. Now, if you're familiar with that location on the map, that is that whole Crescent Valley area. It is Babylon all the way through, through that area. It's called the area of Shinar. When uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds his, uh, comes into power, he takes Daniel and them into Shinar or Babylon. So Shinar is an equivalent word in the Bible for Babylon. And this is a kingdom that got started by Nimrod. So it's an ancient kingdom. And we still have Babylon in there. And there's still an area that causes lots of trouble for the world, even though they're not a great power at this point. Iran and Iraq is in both of those places that Shinar covers. And both of them cause trouble and probably will cause trouble all the way through because those verses in the scriptures talk about the kingdom of Shinar coming in and, and at the end days and being a major power. Now, how they're going to become a major power is kind of hard for us to see. But God says they're going to be a major player in power during this period. And they're going to be an ancient, ancient kingdom here that we're looking at. One of the things that that Nimrod does is he establishes false religion. And we're going to see all through the scriptures, you're going to see the worship of Babylon. It's also called Mystery Babylon, Mystery Religion, uh, Mother of the Universe. <laughs> all of those terms go back to Nimrod. Nimrod and the religion that he put together, satanically inspired, is the foundation for all false religions. And many of the things that that the churches fall into fall into a, a lot of what he established. So we want to be very careful because this is a very important thing. And I don't want to lift Nimrod up too much, but I do want you to understand as you're reading through scriptures, what he's doing here is critical. He is the foundation for all the idolatry worship that's going to come in. He's the foundation for all the, the false uh, idols in Egypt and all through Palestine and all through the rest of the world. And he, he builds these ones up that are about good works, uh, 
astrology finds its roots in, in, in uh, Nimrod's uh, thing is where they take the truth that God put in the sky and change it to something totally different. We see the idea of good works coming out of this. We see all these things coming in and it all comes down to this person. Nimrod ends up marrying his mother, uh, having children by her, and she gets the title Queen of the Universe or Queen of the Heavens. And there's a whole lot of stories about how one of his sons dies and uh, when Nimrod dies, his son comes back as a reincarnation of him through a virgin. There's all kinds of really weird stories that get attributed to this time period. And we're not going to go into all of that. And if you want to study it, I'm going to give you the same warning I always give people. If you're going to look into anything that is not biblical related, however long you spend researching that, spend an equal or more time in the Bible. Because you do not need your mind ruined by some of this. It's a very interesting study, but it also needs to be covered with the Word of God if you do it. Uh, and I don't necessarily encourage it. It's kind of curious. It's kind of interesting, but it, it's not something that is needed necessarily. <laughs> um, so... In the process of hunting people, offering sacrifices to them, building up all of this false religion stuff that's going to follow through all the way through Revelation, because Revelation talks about mystery Babylon, and that's talking about the religious side of Babylon started by Nimrod. Okay, it's, going to, it's always been there, and it's going to come back to power at the very end again. And so we see that part of it. We also see the first formation of a one-world government. That was his purpose, was to build one government for all people. And what are we, where are we headed to? We're following suit now. We're going right back to the original Babylon mentality. And it's told to us in Revelation that we're going to, Satan will establish it, a one-world government, a one-world religion. All of that was what Nimrod was trying to establish in his day. A world government, a world religion. And God broke it up. He brought it, broke it up, and we're going to get into that, but he broke it up, and we're overcoming that area. I mean, language is no longer an, uh, a problem when you're traveling and going around. There's plenty of people who can translate for you. And if you have a nice, nifty smartphone, you can type in your, your words in your language and have it translated and actually spoken to, uh, from your phone to the person who can then type in theirs and will translate it back to you. Language is no longer... An issue, And if you get on the internet very often, a lot of times you can hit translate your page and you can go find a page that's not in English, although most of them are in English. You can go out there, find a page that's not in English, translate it into English. Instantly. Yeah. This, is, this is the thing that we've, humans have overcome what God put in our path to keep us from one world, one, one combination. But they start in verse 11, in chapter 11, they start to build this tower. There's some controversy as to what the purpose of the tower was, but this was, there's, one, say, one thing I read says that they were trying to reach the heavens so they could be able to commune with the, the stars and the planets because he was very much into astro astrology. That's a possibility because he says, let us build a tower into the heavens. The Jews believed that he was building a tower so that he would be protected if the Lord flooded the earth again, <laughs> that he'd just climb up out of earth and into heaven. So either way, he had purposes that were not godly. Uh, and so, but they were, their goal, can you imagine trying to build a tower that's going to go into, <laughs> into the, you know, beyond the atmosphere? They really had no clue how far they had to go. Uh, but they were building this tower 
so that they could stay one. God had told them when they come know them his sons, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They got off the, off the boat, they traveled to the valley of Shinar, the Mesopotamian Valley area, and stayed. <laughs> and decided, we're just going to build a kingdom here. We're going to create a new Eden, whatever it was they were looking for, and say, this is our, this is our civilization, we're going to build it right here, we're not going around the, around the rest of the world. And that was their plan, and Nimrod was all for it. One government that he would be in charge of, one religion that he was creating, contrary to God. And we read the verse about Peleg, and it says that Peleg, that in his day the earth was divided. Now Peleg is over here on Shem's side of the family, and we go through Arfax, Selah, Eber to Peleg. Now Eber is one generation below Nimrod, and Eber, which we're going to talk a little bit about Eber next week is a very long-lived man he he is very his the righteous line comes from Eber and all the Hebrews come from Eber and in case you we'll talk more about that next week because most of you will think that he, Abraham was the father of the Hebrews and he's not so but uh, Abraham's the father of the Israelite people but they were they were out there and what we see from this because it's going to tell us that in Peleg's day the earth was divided three different places now, that has three ideas that people believe. Some believe that continental drift started when, <laughs> when Peleg was born, and I don't buy that one. I think it was broke. I believe the continents were broken up when God flooded the world, uh, but I'm not going to rule out you know, that possibility. There's many that believe it. The other one is that they were divided literally and moved away because of Babel, which is a good, strong possibility. But I believe that this is because he's at the time of Nimrod starting false religion that the world was divided between good and evil. Just because we've seen this over and over again. Our timelines that we read are going to concentrate mostly on Shem's family from this point on. We have a little bit of Ham's line just enough to show how evil is growing. We had a little bit of Enoch's line to show how evil was growing before the flood. And from this point on, we're going to be concentrating, well, we're going to leave Genesis, but from, from this point on, we concentrate on the righteous line. We're going to go through Terah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then through a long line getting to Jesus. <laughs> so we have the righteous line being, being established in the scriptures. My belief is that when it says in his day the land was devel- uh, divided, was literally they're talking about between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. And we've seen this even before the flood. The land was divided between righteous and unrighteous. And God is able to take Noah from it. And God always is building up a time when there's a division between his people and the world. We as Christians have to, are to live a way that lifts Christ up. Always. We are not to think like the world. We're not to act like the world. We're not to speak like the world. And Jesus said he came to divide and cause problems because we're going to be thinking like God thinks. And if you've ever been in a place where you've said this is what God says or you shouldn't be doing this, you know real well that it's taken very well by everybody you say that to, right? They they, they say, oh yeah, you're right. I'm going to follow God. Well, if you're talking to Christians, you might get that response. But if you're talking to the world, you definitely don't get that response. 
You're going to hear something like, well, who are you to tell me and, you know, how to live my life? Or who are you to judge me? Or the, the infamous, well, that's your truth. You know, I love that statement. It, that's your truth. Mm-hmm. You know, something is either true or it is not true. Our world is being taught that there can be many truths out there. But that in and of itself is illogical. Something is either true or it is not true, and it can't be your truth. And this is something that's very important for us to grab hold of. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. He is truth. What he tells us is true. What the scriptures tell us is true. And very important that if you believe something that's not true, even if you think it's true, if it's not true, eventually it will cause a problem in your life. Now, let's go with something that used to be believed by the, by the uneducated, that the world was flat. Now, it might be fine. You can, as long as you don't go anywhere, you can believe that the world is flat and it doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form. But if you go to take a long trip or you try to take a rocket to the moon thinking that the earth is flat, you're going to have some problems. If you try to take a trip using the GPS, you're going to find out you're going to have a lot of trouble, too, if it was programmed for a flat earth uh, because the earth is round. But this is, that's kind of a far-fetched example, but this is what is important. What you believe needs to be true because it's some place, if it's not true, it's going to fall apart. And this is why it is important. We talk about creationism versus, versus evolution. Evolution is a system that is falling apart at the seams because it does not hold up scientifically. It's a philosophy that we've told people about, and it doesn't hold up. And it's got so many scientific problems that those who are trying to base their life on it are having troubles. We have creation. God has a plan. God has a reason for things. And once we put a God in there with a reason, now we have a reason for life being important. Evolution teaches that life is worthless. If you're too weak to live, it's not a big deal. So if you're strong enough to kill people, who cares? Because you're, you're stronger than they are. And we see the death and destruction that's being brought out of that system. We see people who are committing mass murders. Why? Just because. <laughs> Something to do. Kill off a bunch of animals. Who cares? This is the teaching of evolution. Evolution is a, is a teaching of violence and death. And when you teach that, you're nothing but an evolved animal. There is no respect for life, which is why we can have all the other problems that we have that are based on that, just general violence. Euthanasia, which is coming, of, coming around really big. You know, we, we, we have abortion. Just kill the child. They're not wanted. They're, just, they're nothing. They're, they're, they're just uh, too weak to defend themselves. Old people, get rid of them. They're, they're, they're too old. They're, not, they're a drain on society. We'll get rid of them because they're not, they're not of any worth. God says... They are extremely valuable. And when we put God in the mix, we realize that all those other things are wrong. Why? Because God says life is special. And this is where this division comes from that we see. Nimrod setting up a false religion and drawing most of the world into it. And God keeping a remnant of righteous people worshiping him. We as Christians need to be part of that remnant worshiping him. Base our truth on the word. Because it'll hold up. It will hold up over time. It's amazing when research is done and they find out that the Bible was right. It's kind of amazing. They spend millions of dollars to prove that God was right in the first place. And it's kind of sad because it's our money they spend usually and our taxes. But they were building this 
temple, this tower, joining themselves together in one world, planning to stay in the, in the fertile crescent in opposition to God. And God says, let us go down and look at what they're doing. And decides to change the language. Now, to us, it doesn't really make that big a deal because even here in, in our isolated place of Kingman, you can hear multiple languages frequently and it doesn't quite freak us out as much that there's other languages out there. Many of us probably either speak a second language or can read a, special, a second language or know at least several words in a different language. So we don't get quite freaked out by language. But can you imagine you're up on this tower working you turn to this guy that you've been talking to for the last months, years, whatever's been on there, and all of a sudden you hear something really crazy out of their mouth. Uh, you know, and, you, and you just uh, think maybe did they get drunk while, they were, uh, while we were on break? Uh, did they get hit on the head? Uh, what is all this jumble coming out of their mouth? And they're looking at you the same way. We really don't understand how crazy that picture is all of a sudden the people could not communicate they've never experienced not being able to communicate with one another they've never experienced this idea of different languages there's chaos chaos at the worksite chaos at the homes chaos at the well when they're drawing water and nobody can talk to each other why? Because God's separating them. God basically said, I told you to move out to cover the face of the earth. You're going to move out and cover the face of the earth. And you're going to do it because basically you can't communicate with one another. Maybe not even trust one another at that point. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know why he's saying it. And there's something different about this person. Because in your mind, you have not changed your language. <laughs> you're speaking the language you've always spoken. And, so are, and they're thinking the same thing. God confused the tongues and people were to be spread out across the face of the world through that process. Back to what we talked about last week, this, the moving out of all the different places in the table of nations where they took their languages and all the languages were used by each individual. And who knows how many languages God created. Uh, I heard one text they said they created 72. I don't know. I don't know where they came up with their number, but... <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you did some linguistic studies, you could find out what the root, how many roots there are for, for these languages. But I'm not, I didn't do that much research. <laughs> but it suffice it to say that God split the languages up. Did he split them up directly among families or groups of people? Who knows how he did it? But they were now no longer trusting one another, no longer being able to communicate. And, you know, for us, like I said... We don't really understand that. You know, if we were talking to somebody, we've, we know that they're talking a different language, and we would, if we were interested enough, <laughs> work with them to find out what it is they were trying to say. You know, or do you want some food? Do you want a book? Do you want a pen? You know, we would, we would know, and we could f work on it, but that's because we're used to different languages. They were not. They did not know what this was going on. They did not know what was happening. They ended up spreading across the whole earth, and they left work on the tower. God broke up the one world government and he broke up the one world religion that was starting. This is, so this is much more than just spreading people across the world. And I bring that out because I want us to understand the Tower of Babel is much more 
than just a simple spreading the people around the world. God is breaking up all that they were trying to do. And we see in that whole thing, like I said, coming back into existence and Revelation talks about it coming back into existence. Babylon and mystery Babylon will come back into power. And it's easy to bring the false religions back under each other because they don't have any real strong beliefs anyway because you're, you're, you're free to believe what you want because there's no truth in them. And remember what we've said is God has a truth and Satan has multiple lies for every truth. So the religions will have no problem coming back together. Matter of fact, even today as they're trying to get the ecumenical movement together and bring all the, all the churches together under one umbrella and all the religions under one umbrella, the ones that are giving them a problem are the Christians. Why? Because we don't believe that if you do good works, you go to heaven. And if you pray to any God that you choose to, you're, you're praying to the same God. And if you want to read any scripture, you're reading, the, reading, reading what's, what's equal to God. We do not believe that. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We believe the word of God is the only truth. Does that mean there's no truth in any of the other books? No, there's some truths in them. They're distorted mostly. But they have problems with them that aren't biblical. And we need to be able to stand on the Bible's foundation. And we hear it all the time. If, you read, if you're on any of the sites that I'm on, how, we read about all the articles of people complaining about how intolerant Christians are. They just won't bend their ways. They will not accept what the world's coming to. Well, I, for myself, I'm going to be part of the remnant that believes in God. It'll put me out of step with the rest of the world, and you know what? I don't care. The disciples were out of step with the rest of the Roman world when they preached Christ and him crucified is the only way to go to heaven. And they preached some really weird things to the Roman people, that there was only one God. Now, think about this from the Roman perspective. There's only one God. And they got Zeus and, and Apollo and on, uh, you know, all, hundreds of gods in their, in their idea. And the, and the Christians are going on saying there's only one God. We're still doing that today when we fight against the ecumenical movement. There's only one God. The gods of these other religions is not our God. The Muslims like to say, well, Allah's the same God. No, Allah's the moon God. Okay? He is not the God of the universe. He is the moon God. We need to keep in mind he is not the same. Then we get into the Hindus with their millions of gods. They do not have the same God. The other religions that get into intellect and, and meditation are not the same God. We are following God of the universe who created all things and says, I am the way through Jesus Christ. Very critical. Very critical that we understand that because once we put our faith and trust in him, then we are not able to say anything goes. We are not able to say, well, well God, you say homosexuality is wrong, but the world's telling me it's good, so I have to accept it. No. We say God says it's sin. God says fornication is sin. The world says fornication is okay. How many people in our, especially our country and the rest of the world, are living together unmarried? God says that's sin. Plain and simple. doesn't matter how many people believe otherwise. God says it's sin. We need to take God's stand on it and say it's sin. Does that mean we judge one another and criticize one another? No, because you're going to stand or fall before God. God is your judge. Our job is just to say God says it's sin and leave it at that and let people have to deal with it between them and God. But when they stand before God, they're going to answer. There is coming a judgment day for all people. If you're a Christian, 
You're going to stand before God at, the, at Jesus at the Beamer seat, and he's going to judge you, what you allowed him to do through you, and you'll get rewarded. If you are not a Christian, and this is a true Christian, one who believes in Jesus Christ and him only for your salvation, if you're not a Christian, you will stand before God at the White Throne Judgment and answer for rejecting Christ and be sent to hell. And people go, well, that's harsh. Well, there's, you can understand that God is out there saying this is the truth. He is holy. He is righteous. He is not just a God of love. And even when we say that, he is a God of love, but not the type of love humans want to try to portray him as. He is not so loving that anything goes. That is not love. Okay? A parent who says, I love my kid and lets them play on the freeway in rush hour is not loving their kid. Well, I don't want to put any rules on them. Well, then you don't love your kid because you're allowing that kid to put them, their life in danger. Well, I'm just going to let my kid you know, drink with all of his buddies every, every weekend. No, you need to control this kid and teach them that there's consequences. There are, if you truly love somebody, you're going to speak truth to them, even if it's going to make them upset. We as Christians love the world, and we will teach what God says because we love the world. We want to see the world come to Christ. We're not wanting to see them go to hell, hopefully. And if you, want from, if you have anybody you want to see go to hell, then you don't understand how horrible hell is. You need to really research as how bad hell is. Because hell is a place that you don't want to see anybody go to. It is eternal punishment. Eternal. They'll go to hell and they'll spend eternity there in a lake of fire where the conscience is going to remind them of every opportunity they had to accept Christ and reject him. For eternity. That is not something we want to see people go through. We, we want to see people go to heaven and be with God. No matter how bad we don't like them. <laughs> because nobody deserves eternal punishment. Or we should not wish it on anybody. There's many of us going to deserve it. Let's get the right statement there. Many will deserve it because they reject Christ. But nobody should be wished upon. And we hear people talk, you know, you know if you've ever witnessed, you know, well, where do you think you'll go after you die? I'll go to hell with all my friends. Well, I'm sorry, hell is more of, a, of isolation. You're not going to have your friends. There's, no, there's not going to be any comfort. You're not going to take comfort in all your other friends' misery with you. You will be punished individually for eternity. So we want to take and get that seriousness involved. Nimrod set up a false religion that says there's many ways to, many ways to get around God. You don't have to follow him. God set up another sign line through a... Airfox and Eber. And he sets up the line that's righteous and worshiping him. We need to make that decision. Who will you worship today? Are you going to follow God and him only? Or are you going to follow the ways of the world and all the, all the different ways that the world tries to get you to live? It's critical. You make those decisions between you and God. We don't make it. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you're, you're sinning. You're, you're doing all these things wrong. No, that's not my job. I'll tell you what God says is sin. But it's up to you and how you want to live and, and be responding to God. But it is critical to come to God. You know, our verses that we're, we're memorizing, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person has sinned. And you know, I've met people who don't think they've sinned. It doesn't take too long to get them to understand that they've done wrong. The one we're working on this, this month, the wages of sin is death. 
when you sin, you have earned something. And God will pay, his, pay the wages that you have earned. And we expect him to pay wages, wouldn't we? If you go out and you work for a company, you expect to get your wages, right? God says, if you've sinned, you've earned wage. You've earned death. But as this verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died on that cross and holds out a gift and says, you've earned this, but I have a gift for you. I have a gift of eternal life. Heaven. The relationship with Jesus. We need to be able to understand that. And then the verse we'll learn next, week, uh, next month will be, For God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, enemies, Christ died. And all we've got to do is call on him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And you give this to people, and it's funny to do this on the street, witnessing people go, oh, it's too easy, it can't be that simple. Well, how difficult do you want to make it? This is so difficult, this is so simple that you won't, won't or can't do it. That makes it pretty, pretty hard. The wonderful thing about walking with God and living with God is all the things that he does is, and tells us to do is simple. And our flesh gets in the way and tries to com- make it complex. Let me make this as hard as possible so that I have some part in it and God is saying, just accept it. Take my gift. When he asks us to get rid of sin in our life, you know what the simplest thing is? He says, just give it up and he takes it away. I don't have to sit there and fight and struggle to get sin out of my life. I just have to say, God, I agree it's sin. Take it out of my life. And you know what? He takes it away. Walking with God is easy because it's him. He comes into us. He gives us the strength. He gives us the power. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. It is easy and light. He carries the burdens. He carries the pain. We just go along for, for a walk beside him. Because in their yoke, the, the lead, lead oxen or animal carried the weight. And the other one just helped in once in a while. But usually just walked beside the other animal. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Do you have cares in your life today that are weighing you down and bothering you? Cast them on Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? You do it. If I was to throw a ball to you, I'd have to let go of the ball. I could, I could wave my arm around all day long with the ball, and it won't go anywhere. But if I really want to cast it, when I get to the apex, I throw it. I let go of it. Jesus says, cast your cares upon him. Just do it. I've shared this with many people, and it's amazing to me. You struggle hard to listen to God and do what he says to do. And you fight and you fight and you struggle. And I know I'm not the only person that does this. And then you finally get victory and you look at it and go, boy, that was so simple. All I had to do was surrender it. And you feel like kicking yourself all over. I go, I fought with this for however long. Months, days, years, decades. Maybe half a century that you fought with something. Learn to just let go of it. When you get there and do it, you'll find out that it was so simple. Because I hear it all the time. Well, how do I do this? And my answer is very infuriating to them, but it is, you just do. You surrender to God. You cast your cares upon him. You just do it. How do I surrender to God? The same way we would do if the police were outside saying, come out with your hands up. 
You have a choice. You can come out or you not come out. And if you came out, you're being obedient and surrendering. If not, you get shot and, 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 and driven out. God will drive us out anyway. We can choose to surrender and do it on our own. Or he will make our life miserable and hard while we struggle with surrendering that area. And then we finally surrender and say, wow, it was so simple. I'm telling you right now, if you haven't experienced it, you will surrender something in your life and you will see how easy it is when you surrender. And you get to the end of it and say, God, that was so simple. And he said, well, of course it was. I told you to. I told you that all along. But it really goes to his picture of how much do we truly believe God's word? Are we going to believe his word enough to act upon it? Or are we going to sit there and go, well, God, I just don't know how I can surrender it because I like it. I think, I get, I think it's pretty cool most of the time. I don't really like the consequences of it. But, you know, and we sit there and rationalize with ourselves about how hard it is to get rid of. And God's just saying, surrender. Just surrender. Good news is the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you learn to surrender, the easier it gets. And the shorter the time period will be between it because you start, if you have half a brain in your head, you start realizing, wow, it was simple just to give up. Maybe I should do it with the next thing. Not fight so long, not fight so hard. The problem is usually, even though we know we don't like the results and consequences, we like whatever it is God's telling us to stop doing. Now, if we really are honest with ourselves, it would be easy to get rid of if we truly disliked it and hated it as much as God dislikes and hates it. When we fight with them about surrendering, it's the reason most of the time is, you know, I actually like doing it. Whatever it is, whatever the it is, <laughs> I like doing it. I like holding my anger against this person, God. I don't want to forgive them. I, I'm, I'm enjoying the ulcers and the, and the stress that it's giving me for disliking them, but I like it. I'm not going to forgive them. And God keeps saying, you need to forgive them, and he'll keep putting us in a place where we need to forgive. God, I really like whatever it is that I like doing, and I don't want to give it up. I don't care that you want me to give it up. I don't care that you called it sin, but I like it. Are we that blunt with God usually? No. But isn't that what we're saying? The old adage, your actions speak louder than your words. When we don't s surrender a sin to God, we may be saying all the right things about it. That we, I want to get rid of it. I, want to get, uh, I don't want it in my life. I don't like it. But if, by not doing it, we are actually saying somewhere deep inside, I like this activity. And we need to be aware, are we totally surrendered to God? Are we surrendered to God? For us as Christians, that's the question. For those who aren't Christians, you need to get to know Jesus, and today is a day of salvation. We're going to close here and sing a couple more songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that they commit their life today, that they will admit they're a sinner, repent of their sins, and, and ask you to come into their heart and, and start to walk with you and, and join a church and get, get a starts of discipleship. Lord, for those of us who are a Christian, we challenge each person that's listening to this that they learn to surrender. Surrender to your truth, to your attitudes and your thoughts, and that they will follow you in all that they do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.